from Portland, Oregon. This is the Jewish Review Podcast. I'm Rockney Roll. Coming up this episode, a conversation about processing the effects of the October 7th attacks with Rabbi Barry Cohen. Rabbi Cohen is Portland's Jewish community chaplain and has served in various rabbinical roles for 25 years. We talked about the different kinds of loss felt in the wake of tragedy, why community is so important in moments of crisis, and how to maintain hope in challenging circumstances. I hope our discussion can be as uplifting for you as it was for me. Stay with us. The Jewish Review Podcast is brought to you by the Jewish Federation of Greater Portland, presenting Spotlight, featuring the one and only Fran Drescher, Saturday, December 2nd at the Patricia Reese Center for the Arts in Beaverton. Tickets are going fast, so get your seat now for an evening you won't want to miss at jewishportland.org slash 2024 spotlight. Now, here's Rabbi Barry Cohen. Rabbi Barry Cohen, welcome to the Jewish Review Podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So tell me about your Jewish journey. Well, I, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, in a, a pretty typical suburban home. You know, Judaism was clearly a value. You know, I, I knew that I had to become a bar mitzvah, go to religious school. I gravitated naturally to youth group, you know, just because that's where my Jewish friends were. And really got a lot of value out of local youth group and regional youth group because it was hard growing up feeling like a minority in Memphis. I mean, you knew at certain times during the year as a Jew, you were on the outside looking in. But when I could get together with uh, my fellow high schoolers at youth group conclaves, you know, that was like one of the rare times I felt like I was in the, in the majority. And it, it felt very comfortable and felt, felt good. But, you know, also had a wonderful, wonderful time at Jewish sleepaway camp. That was great. Uh, so again, I, I grew up with this, just a, a pride of being being Jewish. I had no idea whatsoever, by the way, that I was going to be a rabbi. That was not in the not in the books. But you know, I went to college, uh, went to the uh, University of Michigan, and one of the reasons I went there was because they have a good number of Jews. That was comforting, um, and kind of went along trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do with my life? And the, the longer I kept my eyes open and figured out what I wanted to do for a career, it just kept pointing back to being a rabbi. One of the, one of the beauties of, of being a rabbi is that you can do so many different things with a degree. You're not necessarily locked in in a congregation. You, you can do a lot more. And that kind of led naturally you know, to how in the world I ended up being a, a chaplain in, in Portland, Oregon. And would you briefly explain your work as a community chaplain for those listeners who might be unaware of it? Yes. In a nutshell, my role is to provide spiritual and pastoral support. And this is for whether people who are affiliated, connected with the Jewish community, or are not connected or affiliated in any way, shape, or form. So if if you're facing crisis, whether medical crisis spiritual crisis, if you've been diagnosed with a disease, if you're dealing with grief issues and all of its varieties, if you're just looking for community, there's so many spiritual and pastoral needs that exist. And the the beauty of the, the pastoral training that I received is that I have the ability to meet people where they are and then develop a relationship 
and then figure out, okay, how can I help? How can I guide? How can I connect? And there's a, for those who may be interested, there is a piece that more fully explains some of Rabbi Cohen's many, many roles around the community in the October 4th issue of the Jewish Review. I'll link to that in the show notes for those interested. So usually we associate grief with the death of a loved one, but people can also experience grief due to events or other kinds of circumstances like the trauma of the October 7th terror attacks in Israel. What are some of the ways that you've seen that manifest in your work? Well, thank you for saying that grief has a much more expansive definition uh, because too many people think that grief is only about responding to the death of a loved one. Grief is a natural response to any kind of loss or any kind of trauma. And what happened October 7th is clearly traumatic. It was uh, traumatic for people who have uh, family in in Israel and know that their family either was directly affected by what happened on October 7th or continues to be affected by how the intensity of risk and danger has risen in Israel. But also just if if we simply have an identity as being part of the Jewish people, it has affected us. It has affected our sense of security. It, it has affected our, our sense of stability, our sense of, of order and safety, and, and not only over in Israel, but we've seen the ripple effects of, of how the October 7th violence continues to affect so many communities here in, in the States, you know, whether, whether locally, college campuses, nationally, so again, there's been such a ripple effect of insecurity and danger and safety. So clearly, um, the, the, what happened on October 7th, that it continues to have an, a, an effect uh, concerning grief. And one other aspect of, of what this has done is it has brought up, it has brought past traumas to the surface. So, for example, if you're a Holocaust survivor, it's as if it's 1941, 1943, 1945 all over again, you know. If you're a child of a Holocaust survivor, having to grow up in a home where where people survived that horrific chapter, again, this dredges up a lot of fear, anxiety, depression. Uh, so again, that is a clear effect uh, of, of, of grief uh, upon the, the children of, of Holocaust survivors. And then another um, aspect of, of grief, uh, I would say, directly affects parents who are just trying to raise Jewish kids. You know, uh, they had certain, a certain game plan or a certain strategy in place of how do I explain the world to my Jewish kids so that the world makes sense? and that we fit in it, and we're safe, and we're secure. Um, Well, this is just really just adversely affected that whole vision, Um, and that represents loss. That represents trauma, and parents have had to react. They've had to pick up new parenting skills for the sake of of how to just reassure their kids that it's going to be okay, we're safe, and we're we're secure. So it sounds like that it's not just about the 
the, the grief is not just about the trauma of the present. For some, it's a reliving of the grief of the past. And for others, it's the, the mourning of a future lost. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because so many of, of us within the, the Jewish community, we, we have certain hopes, dreams, expectations of what is Israel going to be? What is the relationship going to be internally? What is the relationship going to be between Israel and its neighboring countries? When is the, the conflict, the ever-present conflict with the Palestinians going to decrease? If not even, it, incredible, it's, a, it's a dream, it's a dream, but could there actually be peace between the Israelis and, and the Palestinians? Yeah, so many of us have very lofty hopes and dreams and expectations, and in one day, that was completely stripped away violently, horrifically, and we're, we're still coming to terms with what exactly happened and what continues to happen. Again, thinking of all the hostages, thinking of the Israeli soldiers that are in harm's way, thinking of civilians all throughout the state of Israel that are at risk. All those hopes and dreams and expectations, like you said, at least for now, you know, they've, they've been uh, completely undercut. Beyond the rituals that surround the death of a loved one, what does Jewish tradition teach us about grief that is applicable to this moment? I, I think one of Judaism's best lessons is the power of community. One should never, ever, and I, by the way, I rarely use that word should, because that's a loaded word. You know, should is a very self-judgmental word. Uh, but in, in this case, it works. I've also rarely heard you use the word never, so let's exactly. emphasize that. Good point, good point. Um, at its best, Judaism teaches that the community should turn to one another during times of trauma, tragedy, and, and grief. No one, no one uh, should grieve alone in isolation. So it, it is so crucial for this very complicated, in particular, Portland, Oregon, uh, Jewish community, uh, because we come from so many different backgrounds. It's so blended. It's so complicated. Let's, let's turn to each other and let's take advantage of the many, many opportunities that exist when smaller communities or the greater community provides chances to get together, to grieve together, to navigate trauma uh, together. Uh, so that, that's one thing that Judaism clearly, clearly teaches. Another thing that I think is just so incredibly healthy about Judaism is that we are encouraged to keep one eye on the world as it is and one eye on the world as it could be. So what that means is there is a time to face reality that can be cold and violent and cruel and tragic, but learn how to get through it, how to navigate it, um, how to navigate it individually, as families, as friends, and, and as congregations, as organizations, and, and as a community. But at the same time, always keep an eye on the world as it could be. 
I fervently believe we are going to get through this, and we're going to keep pursuing um, a world at its best, a world where we are truly humane, where we express empathy, where we do not look at others as, quote, the other, the adversary, the enemy. We rather look at everyone as a potential as a potential friend, a potential collaborator, um, a potential ally. So to me, that, that's one of the healthiest aspects of, of, of Judaism because it, it prevents us from becoming overly pessimistic, but it also prevents us from getting overly idealistic. For someone who's sitting with these feelings and, and saying to themselves, I don't even know where or how to begin dealing with this, where does one begin? I think one, one begins by, number one, trying to get in touch with where we are individually. There is a time to confront our emotions rather than try to bury them, deny them, judge them, avoid them. Sometimes it's healthy just to feel in a, in a non-judgmental, non-critical way. But that, that's not enough. We need relationships. And sometimes it's just one relationship. It could be just one relationship with a family member, a sibling, a spouse, a parent, a grandparent, just one relationship with a close friend. And then it can blossom from there. Because again, there is power in facing adversity and tragedy collectively rather than individually. So I, I encourage people uh, to not only connect with one person here or one person there, but connect with community. And th there are so many communities in, in the greater Portland area, so many organizations, so many, so many synagogues, so many um, virtual groups, social media groups. Again, organizations, I'm not even going to begin to try to list them because if I start listing, I'm going to, I'm going to leave someone out and then I'm going to probably aggravate someone because I forgot. So uh, again, there's so many organizations within our community that we can, that we can turn to because we've got, a lot of, we've got a lot of wisdom and experience in our community, a lot of experts that can help us navigate these difficult, trying times, both you know, within the religious community or the, the secular community. Uh, so again, I, I highly encourage us uh, to, to navigate by, again, fostering those relationships and going through this more collectively rather than individually. In your column in the most recent issue of the Jewish Review, and I will link to that in the episode notes because it's very much worth a read, mm -hmm. you wrote, quote, I encourage all of us to embrace nuance and accept multiple truths. We can find a way simultaneously to stand with Israel wholeheartedly and offer compassion to innocent Palestinians whose lives have been shattered. How do we do that in a polarized political and cultural climate that really seems to encourage us to do almost anything but? Well, this is where we can feel like we're a, a salmon swimming upstream, all right? To me, nothing replaces the person-to-person, -person, preferably in-person interactions. I get, I get very frustrated with the damage that social media can do because uh, you know, social media in all of its forms wants to put us in a, in a box, in a category. 
And God forbid what you say, it is immediately judged and dissected and responded to and um, undercut. So social media in, in many ways can be a path not to take. But at the same time, there are aspects of social media that do foster healthy communities. But it's hard to find those communities because they're so easy to target. They're so easy to judge by others. All right. So again, if you want to turn to, to social media, please do so very, very carefully and know when to just put your phone down, when to turn your computer off, when to walk away. Yeah. All right. Because um, for all that human connection, yeah. social media can be wildly dehumanizing. Oh, absolutely. And uh, again, this is the time to resist the urge to dehumanize. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt how incredibly complicated and nuanced people are. Now, we may want to try to put them in a box, in a category, because that makes us feel better, right? That makes us think that the world is ordered and structured according to the way that I want it to look. Well, life is not that neat and not that orderly. We need to be accepting of family and friends when we agree with each other and when we're on the same page and when we are not agreeing with each other and when we're pushing each other's buttons, getting into conflict. Uh, again, it's nuanced, it's complicated, and it's messy, but that's human. That's just, that's just human nature. So not, not including the seemingly vocal minority on both extremes of the political spectrum, I think it's fair to say that the majority of people, Israelis, Palestinians, diaspora Jews, everyone, fundamentally wants a lasting, just, peaceful resolution to the ongoing conflict in this part of the world. But after the events of October 7th, that goal feels farther away than ever. Mm -hmm. Herb Keenan from the Jerusalem Post said in a webinar recently that after October 7th, a permanent resolution to the conflict was maybe two generations away. You spoke earlier about some of the optimism that the Jewish values inculcate. How does one maintain hope, that, that kind of optimism, in the face of such seemingly dire odds? What you're saying in many ways conflicts with the typical American worldview. And what, what I mean by that is I think it's, it's typical for uh, people in the West and particularly in the United States to think about, okay, what's going to happen next year? What's going to happen two years from now or four years from now? Even thinking a decade, that, that's too far out. There's not a lot of strategies or game plans that are 10-year plans, all right? I think we have to readjust or recalibrate how we're looking at the, at the world and as far as what is possible, what is feasible. And that makes the current war in, in, between um, Israel and, and Hamas and the other terrorist groups incredibly challenging for a, a typical American point of view. Because I, I agree, this is beyond five years. This is beyond 10 years. And realistically, and I'm not trying to be too cynical, I, I agree. I think it's beyond my lifetime. I mean, I'm uh, almost 55, and it's in a way very discouraging to think that I'm not going to see much change in, in my lifetime. That being said, I'm not going to give up hope for my kids. 
And God willing, I'm not going to give up hope for my grandkids, even though I don't have any yet. To me, we, we have to balance, again, we have to balance the world as it is with a sense of what the world could be and just accept it and just deal with it, even though it's painful and even though it undercuts, again, our vision, our hope, our expectation, sometimes that just gets torn down. But that doesn't mean the dream's gone. That doesn't mean the, the possibility of peace in that part of the world can never happen. It just is probably not going to happen on, on our timeline. But that's okay. That's okay. I mean, look, we're just one generation coming through Judaism, okay? There have been many, many generations that have preceded us, and there are going to be many, many more generations that follow us. So I, I have to maintain that sense of, okay, sometimes it's three or four steps back before you can take one step forward. And, and how does that saying go, <laughs> you're not expected to finish the work, mm. but you are, you're not allowed to, to stop it? Right. That, and to me, that, that is, um, that's a beautiful example of, of, of Jewish wisdom uh, because... Even if I butchered yeah, the exact but, wording. But it, no, it's a very appropriate, appropriate quote. It would be very easy just to throw our arms up in the air and say, I quit. I'm done. Um, I'm not going to invest myself in this emotionally anymore. Um, my life is complicated enough as it is. <laughs> I've got enough stresses and strains and pressures. I can't handle adding what is going on in, in Israel to, to my list. Judaism says you can't do that. You can't do that. You, you, you need to invest. You need to invest yourself emotionally, financially. You need to invest your skills, your passion. But that doesn't mean you're required to solve it. That, that's unrealistic. That's too much. That's, that's a bridge too far. Do you think that idea of I, I can't handle something this complicated, do you think that is some of what drives the oversimplification that we, we see around this crisis in particular, but other crises in, in the broader sense? In a word, yes. I, I think one of our biggest challenges that all of us are facing right now is emotional and spiritual fatigue. And one of, the, one of the solutions when facing fatigue is to try to simplify, overly simplify. How can I control fitting this in, in my box, in my worldview, in, in a perspective that makes sense for me, even though that is not accurate or even not even healthy? So now I'm, I'm talking just about myself one of the things that I'm trying to do during these incredibly challenging times is to remember to take care of myself, to remember how I have to refresh myself. I've got to create opportunities uh, for, for joy and for happiness, separating myself for at least a little while from, uh, from all the stresses and pressures and strains of, let alone the world as it, as it is, but also about what's going on o over in Israel. It is so important to remember uh, how to avoid emotional burnout or, or spiritual burnout, uh, because that, that's just no way to live. There's too much joy, potential joy. There's too much potential happiness that we could experience. We need to avoid that trap of just emotional fatigue and burnout that, that makes us want to quit. 
Rabbi Barry Cohen, thank you so much for joining us on the Jewish Review Podcast. Okay, well, thank you for the invitation. I, I, I enjoyed it. That'll do it for this episode of the Jewish Review Podcast. A heartfelt thank you to my colleague and friend, Rabbi Barry Cohen, for his time and insight. His most recent Chaplain's Corner column, which dives more into the subject of spiritual and emotional fatigue, along with his piece on nuance in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and my profile of all the ways he supports Portland's Jewish community, are available online at jewishportland.org slash jewishreview. Links are in the episode description. If you like this episode, please leave a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice to help others find our show, and click subscribe to get our latest episode every two weeks. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, please reach out by email to editor at jewishportland.org. The Jewish Review Podcast is a production of the Jewish Federation of Greater Portland. Special thanks to Daniel Berger. Our theme music is by Isaac Joel. I'm Rockney Roll. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, all the best.